0: Gideon you have something I want you may think you have some idea what you are in possession of but you do not soon he will be back with me
1: he means more to me than you will ever know
0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. I am one of your hosts, Carl Leclerc, and I am joined by my buddy and yours. It is Mr. Gregory Cass of Ion Cannon fame on the Twitter world. Hey, Gregory. Good evening.
1: So nice to talk to you Larians again, and to you especially, Carl.
0: <laughs> secondary. Yeah, that's secondary to the Larians. <laughs> I, I get it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this So... Chapter 16 has arrived. The rescue, the finale of this incredibly powerful season. And there is obviously so, so much to talk about. And we're just going to scratch the surface because we wanted to get out something quick. And I texted Greg later or earlier today and I just said, would you be willing to join me tonight? And uh, he was able to make it work. So appreciate that, Greg. Of um, course. So uh, that being said. Obviously, from this point forward, spoiler alert, we are going to talk about everything that happened in this episode that we feel like talking about. Uh, we'll probably talk a lot about what happens at the end. So if you have not yet watched Chapter 16 of the finale of Mandalorian Season 2 and you do not want to be spoiled, I recommend turning off the podcast now and coming back after you've watched. So you have been warned because we're going to dive right into it. Um Greg, I just want to ask you the big question. Were you struck by who appeared at the end?
1: I was completely shocked. Um, I, you know, so I got up, uh, I have an infant uh, daughter. She's nine months or so, and she's been getting up at 4 a.m. So I get up with her and sit quietly in my living room, kind of rocking her and, and watching the show. And I was, you know, I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs as soon as, uh, Kara says, one X Wing, uh, you know, oh that'll save us. I'm like, uh I think it will. I think it just might. Um and realizing as it pulled in, I that I think the shot of it entering the hangar, I was like, gosh, that looks like red five. Like it really it looks like R2. Um and then it was just gravy after that. Every single shot just built my excitement. So uh yeah, it was incredible. I I could not scream, but I really wanted to. <laughs>
0: Uh, my, so, my initial reaction when they said, "Oh, just one x wing I thought it was i 'm um, already blanking on the character 's name, but he 's appeared a couple times now in this season uh, the The gentleman from kim 's convenience um, mm. but th- so, I figured it was that guy i was like oh he 's probably like he 's going to show up, and then you know a division 's going to show up or something like that. My initial thought was not luke if i 'm being honest." But then, of course, when that music starts, there was something about that music. I'm like, this is way too epic to be that guy. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, and then I
1: save us. Like, Tara yeah. would. be fine If it was that guy. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Um, I, I mean, it, it, I did not see it coming. And then, you know, the way they choose to the way they choose to shoot him and, and film that his entrance with from behind. And obviously the hood is low because I was like, oh, my God, well, obviously Luke. But who the heck is going to be Luke? Um, You know, there's obviously everybody's been putting in these rumors that Sebastian Stan should stand in for Luke who I've never heard of him besides these rumors. I don't, I don't know much about who that is. Um, But when he pulls that hood off, it's CGI magic Mark.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and I, I mean, there's obviously like a practical reason to shoot it the way they did to try to use the effect as little as possible and so on. Um, It feels very much like jaws, right? Like you, You can't get the monster to work right, so you just hold off and don't show it. So it's so effective to have all those shots. And and it does, it builds, it's like, okay, a black cloak, who could that be? And then, okay, a green lightsaber, and okay, uh, that is a gloved hand. And so it really uh, was quite effective. Um, yeah, Sebastian Stan is uh, the Winter Soldier, oh, so I am okay. leaning that way because Peyton Reed, the director, is is a Marvel guy. So I'm like, oh, they, they've worked together; they know, must know each other. Um, but then, you know, the effect is never perfect. But I thought it was pretty darn good, and and I'd rather get that than a, a recasting. I think. It's different than recasting Han. We recast Han from before we met Han, whereas right. this would be Luke right in the prime of when we knew him. So I think that that means you got to go CG.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably why they made that decision with uh, Carrie Fisher for Rogue One. Um, yeah, it would have been a, an interesting thing to look at a different actress playing her from minutes before we see her for the first time. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean Alden was a safe bet. It was a decade before. Um, yeah. But and then
1: I started I wondering right away, I'm like, well, is Mark even involved in this? Because, you know, Carrie, there was an actress on set for Rogue One and Carrie gave her permission, I believe is is what they've said. Um, so I was like, well, Mark must have given his permission. But then um, when his name popped up in the credits, I'm like, oh, OK, there's something more real there. I don't know what it is, but it, it was good to see that he was involved.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um- I, there was a couple times where when he looks up at one point, I'm like, oh, those eyes look really weird. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I remember people back when Rogue One came out saying how uh, the likeness – like Peter Cushing, oh, so obviously it was CG. I could never – I still can't tell. To me, it's flawless. so But this one was not quite as flawless, but I'm kind of with you. I'm really glad they didn't just cast someone else. Um, but do you think it's the – you know, and obviously, this is a purely subjective question, and, and anyone could have a different answer, but do you think it made sense that it was Luke that showed up? Do you think that was too fan servicey? Do you think it fit the story?
1: I think the moment they decided to do Jedi five years after Return of the Jedi, it had to lead to Luke eventually. <laughs> Um, I understand everybody, you know, the major Rebel fans who wanted it to be Ezra, um, the the Freemaker adventure people who wanted it to be Rowan Freemaker. There are all these kind of crazy uh, theories out there. But I think, you know, there's only one Jedi at that moment that means what he means. So um, it, it still surprised me because I, 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 I thought maybe nobody would answer the call or, or um, something like that. But um, if if you're in this era, I think you sealed your fate with it as as Luke. And I'm just going to go on record. I, I love the choice. I love the fact that we're getting a little bit of Luke. Even if we never see him again off of this, it was just this incredible moment um, with that character that I think the majority of Star Wars fans love. Um, so I think it was uh, a bold choice, but the right choice is how mm. I would characterize it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, great. I love that. I, I mean... Um, whenever you're on the show, you always ask really great hard questions. So I, I'm glad that I could like funnel them at you first. <laughs> um, but no, I'm with you. I mean, cause I was, I was texting with friends this morning and stuff and, and almost all, everyone I talked to was very happy with them. There was one person who, who wasn't crazy about it. And that's again, totally fair. Um, but I just feel like, like you said, the fact that it's so So close to Return of the Jedi and Luke. I mean, Return of the Jedi ends at least with the reality that Luke is kind of the future of the Jedi. So if Grogu really did send out this signal and and someone picked that up, to me, it just has to be Luke. And one of the reasons I also think that is because Mandalorian has done a great job of drawing in such a wide range of like people to, to, to this show. And if you bring in someone like Ezra or Cale Kestis, you know, somebody from like these lesser known projects, the average audience, it, they're not going to know who that is. And again, that doesn't mean they have to. I mean, oh, it's a Jedi. Cool. But it being Luke Skywalker, I feel like it gives just a deeper tie into the to the story that the general populace knows. Um, so I just think
1: that's absolutely right. And that, I mean, look at the Twitter trends today. I think Luke Skywalker was up there by like 8 AM and stayed all day in the top 10. Um, and that just shows that there's an excitement there, you know, and, and fans of these lesser projects. And I only mean lesser in terms of size. I obviously love all of Canon materials. Um, and I think, you know, we get fed a lot of those details on, in the sidelines and the, the, the kind of smaller references, a perfect example being Dark Troopers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in this very episode, um, so I, I feel like we've gotten our food in that way. So to to really get people talking, you had to go Luke. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, and it, worked. yeah. Well, so um, so I kind of want to like then backtrack on this because I I do feel like that was the biggest surprise of the episode. Um, well. and and I get that for for a lot of people that was like that's what sold them on the episode. Um, but I think, I think there were also several other surprises in the episode. Um, one of the smaller ones, and I think something that is going to be a potential problem for a third season is this whole story with Bo-Katan and now the Mandalorian, right? Mm -hmm. She has to get, in order to get the dark saber legitimately, she has to defeat him in combat. So, you know, the, the, this, this, episode certainly did not give us a neat happy ending per se um a it lot actually of, took
1: until my third uh viewing to actually visually confirm that Bo-Katan was still alive right because she goes, yeah. goes down pretty close to the end but then by the final shot she's standing there with everybody else
0: right and um just pointed at the door so and I know this is something you know we were texting about earlier with you know our friend Ben um about how you know, she, Bo-Katan got the dark saber because Satine, uh, Sabine gave it to her. So I was just like, "What do you mean she has to defeat him?" Like that's I don't rem- I mean, I remember that being a thing for Death Watch, um, yeah. but I mean, which technically she was part of. So uh, she just refused to serve under an outsider, which you know. So I just I found it interesting that Bo-Katan, who I mean, I loved her in the in her previous episode this season, where she really pushes against the Mandalorians kind of fundamentalist views of being a Mandalorian. And now she still is, she's right here though. She's buried in some arcane tradition that in a weird way makes her a bit of a fundamentalist. I felt like, um, what did you think about that? Like little dynamic?
1: Uh, it is such a rich, uh, moment. Um, and I really, I, you know, it's like, I couldn't piece it together as quickly as Moff Gideon could. And so, you know, uh, then knocks Moff Gideon down and he's like, oh, you're going to spare me. This should get interesting. Yeah. Um, and it was like, you could see him playing the chess out in his head of how complex this was going to become because of that. Um, I am not as strong on my knowledge of rebels. So that's how that conversation started. I was like, mm. how exactly, you know, did Sabine pass it to, to Bo-Katan? Cause I knew they wouldn't have fought each other. Um, it adds an interesting wrinkle. And I just want to also praise Katie Sackhoff's performance in that moment. Because as soon as Din walks in with the the uh, Darksaber, you see her set her jaw and she's like, oh, no. Like, mm. she realizes just how complex this got in this moment. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right that that's going to be a big part of season three. Um, it seems to me the other piece of that is just that Din has basically promised twice now that, like, and I'm done with my quest. I'll I'll help you, and we can reclaim Mandalore. So, if I had to put money down at this very very early stage, I'd probably say that's what season three will be about is retaking Mandalore. Um, but I really don't know exactly how the dark will play into that. Um, so, let me throw it back to you. What do what did you think of that moment? And like um, maybe as as a part of that. Um, is that a part of Star Wars you're really interested in them going towards if that is where they end up
0: heading sadly not really and that's why you know I, I and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this as we get towards the end and wrap up our conversation um but I mean for me and I think for a lot of folks what has really worked with the show is the dynamic of grogu and the Mandalorian so say so grogu <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so with him gone the story of them reclaiming Mandalore it, I'm not, I just, I mean, I'm not terribly excited about that. I was never super into those Mandalorian arcs and either the clone wars or rebels. I mean, I enjoyed them. I, I particularly enjoyed the clone war stuff mainly because it gave us Satine, and I loved the relationship between her and Obi-Wan. So I loved it more for that dynamic than necessarily the, the, the plight of Mandalore, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I'm a, I, and be, I, we will close by talking about how this episode ends with an emotional punch. Um, but that's that's like that's the kind of Star Wars I really love. So it'll be interesting to see how do you how do you continue this kind of emotionally beautiful character telling story without Grogu, um, and is reclaiming Mandalore going to be able to kind of capture that that magic? And I, I right, where I stands right now, from you know I I, I don't know, um, so I'm a little wary, um, and I don't I don't mean that to sound pessimistic or or, or like like I'm coming off like a jerk. But um, yeah, I, that's not a story that I'm terribly excited about. Um, but I think I've also you been – oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you bring up a really good point there though. You're implying that like if Grogu is gone, what is this show – And I I thought that same thing as well, because, you know, the number of casual fans I know of, right, Um, friends of my wife who don't like Star Wars at all, but will share every uh, Grogu meme under the sun. Um, (laughs) It's like, well, where where are those fans going to go if we go somewhere else, like to a Siege of Mandalore or new Siege of Mandalore or something like that? Um, I think that has to be on their minds and to some degree
0: yeah and i want to say that uh, you know going all the way back to when the show was first announced i was skeptical because i'm not like crazy about like mandalorian stuff and it blew me away and I, I think over these two seasons i really trust john favreau and dave filoni to continue writing compelling stories so at the end of the day i think whatever we get will be really good and i don't think we've seen the last of grogu in some i, I when when Din says to him, "I'll see you again," I promise. I believe him. I really do. <laughs> so, well, you,
1: you pointed out on text that that is a Shmi moment, right? That is yeah. very much a rewriting of Anakin and Shmi, and that was what they said as well. Like, what does your heart tell you? Well, right.
0: I'm I'm glad and you I, s- yo. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: Okay. No, that was it, that they saw each other again. It <laughs> yeah. came true That It'll come true now.
0: Yeah, hopefully not quite as tragically. But that actually <laughs> – so I'm just going to play this now. I, I, th- I mashed these two little scenes together really quick earlier today um, And because I, I do feel – this was my favorite part of the episode and I don't – we can certainly talk about other things too. But I just want to dive right into the heart of it for me and I don't mean to imply that it was your favorite part. But that, that emotional punch of the Mandalorian having to say goodbye at the end was – Ugh, heart wrenching. So I, I kind of mashed these two scenes up together because, you know, like you said, uh, Din is very much the Shmi character here, being the selfless parent.
1: Will I ever see you again? What does your heart tell you? I hope so. Yes. I guess. Then we will see each other again. come back and free you mom. I
0: promise.
1: Now, be brave and don't look back. Don't look
0: The main reason I made us turn off videos, I didn't want you to see me cry. So, (laughs) 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 I the the. the I mean, I just I felt like that was such a mirrored scene. and I, I don't know if that was intentional by any stretch of the imagination or not. I Again, I think it's just good parenting. And this is why I'm actually really glad you're on because you are a parent. You have two children. Um, and I just, you know, it, Shmi's, um you know, don't look back. Um, now be brave is the same thing as Din saying don't be afraid. You know, oh. it's just this beautiful moment of letting something and someone out of your life so that it can grow into something more. And the, the selflessness of that to me is, I mean, that's the pinnacle of what George Lucas calls the light side. Right. Um, and I just, you know, I've, the fact that his helmet is off too. I mean, I, I love how Grogu is touching the helmet implying, like I I really want to touch your face and he just pulls it off and, and, You know, I mean, it was the same thing last week with last week's episode when he pulls it off there in the Imperial bunker. But the – just the emotion conveyed by Pedro Pascal. I mean, Pedro Pascal is – he honestly may be my favorite Star Wars actor (laughs) because of what he was able to do in just a few short scenes. But um, uh, visually and uh, I mean just – I kind of hated Luke for a second, to be honest too. It's like, did you learn, like, do you not know anything about what happened with the old Jedi? They ripped families apart and (laughs) this is why they (laughs) fell. I mean, I guess they usually took infants and Grogu isn't technically an infant anymore. I mean, he is, I think we learned through the episode with Ahsoka that he's a lot more aware and a lot more, um, uh, communicative than we had thought. But in that moment, it's just, you know, you, it, and this is another reason I am kind of glad it's Luke it, if it had been anybody else, I would really hate them. But it's like, oh, but Luke is the good guy. Um, he's going to be OK. But just that look of to me, it's sadness. I mean, not not a not a selfish sadness of like, oh, I really wish he would stay with me. But just a sadness of having to say goodbye to someone you love because it's time for them to move on. I mean, what do you think of this scene?
1: Yeah, well, I really like the connection you're drawing, um, particularly to, to the Shmi scene, um, and I, I'm i in the midst of the Paul Duncan, the prequel archives book, which is just blowing my mind with how good it is. Um, his original book was good, the prequel one might be better, and I'm only halfway through Phantom Menace. Um, so I was just actually reading pages about those scenes and how they shot them and, and looking at some of that set, so it's, it's really cool that it, it came up today. Um, I think you're right. What's what's interesting about that comparison is that Shmi is literally enslaved, right? She is yeah. owned by Watto, a very dark setting. So when she gives up Anakin, it's very clearly you need a better life. And she's sad, but you understand that. I think whether you're a parent or not, you're like, yeah, this is the one chance Anakin has to be free. And we know he's special. And we know that this is, is going to lead to a better life for him. Well, except for that other thing we know, which is the... the tragedy to come. Uh so I it's interesting then to compare that to the Mandalorian because Din, you know, it's not a terrible life with Din, right? You could imagine the two of them being together forever and just traveling the galaxy and doing jobs together. Um but, you know, the themes that have come out across the season of, you know, that in is exposing the child to a lot of violence, right? And mm-hmm. that could warp his special skills. Um, but then over and over again, I think the last three episodes at least, maybe since the Ahsoka episode, we've heard, like, you are very special. The child is very special. And Moff Gideon mm-hmm. says it this, um, this episode. Um, My question, um, and I'll throw it back to you with this, is I was wondering in some of those quiet moments, um, basically from when Grogu senses Luke arriving and starts watching the screen, there's so many reaction shots of, of Din, it started to feel like to me that he might be getting more than just like... A reaction to the kid like he might be sensing a little bit more about what the kid is thinking. I don't know if I'm quite ready to go to he's force sensitive or anything like that. But that like there was a a deeper communication going on there that they really understood each other in that moment, which I think made it less tragic in some ways because they both accepted what they had to do.
0: That's a, you know, that's a great point. I, and I'm curious to watch again because I actually – I didn't notice that. I didn't notice we were getting reaction shots from him. I, I was always just kind of focused on Grogu touching the screen and watching for the door. But that's a great point because Din is the one who goes over and says open the doors and they're all reluctant to do it and he does it. I mean he's the one who actively I – mean, those doors were going to open regardless. But um, you know, he's the one that actively opens the door.
1: Um. That's another Phantom Menace. right didn't that feel like the Qui-Gon at the very very beginning of Phantom Menace at the doors yeah I I just it's so interesting to me that this is primarily a show that that always seems to service OT fans but there's a lot of prequel influence beyond these Clone Wars characters and all that it's it's speaking the language of Star Wars really well too
0: yeah absolutely and and uh, yeah I mean gosh like it did. It reminded me so much of Qui Gon and Obi Wan cutting through battle droids at the beginning of Phantom Menace. Except these aren't just battle droids. I mean, I think you know a lot of fans really wanted to see you know badass Luke in the sequels, and and I think we did get that in a, just a very different way. Um, but people wanted to see him with the green saber, kind of you know wreaking some havoc. And and while there's an element of fan service to that, and I mean at the end of the day, Star Wars is it's okay to have fan service. We are fans, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> I'm a fan. Yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, and I do think, you know, seeing him dismantle them in, in such a efficient way, like it doesn't seem like he's not enjoying the fight for the sake of fighting. Um, he's there on a mission and he's going to accomplish it. And it does, it just, it made me think of kind of that the precision that we saw at the beginning of Phantom Menace and, you know, they do a great job of really emphasizing how, uh, formidable the dark troopers are i mean that the fight between just one and din was you're like oh crap he's getting his butt kicked here um yeah and then luke just cuts um, through a platoon
1: the moment where he flame throws the throws fire on it and it just burns up inside of it that is so menacing and you know really yeah they they really make them scary i i watched it my Third viewing was with my five year old, which might be questionable parenting, uh, but that was a moment that my my son was like, "Whoa, like it's it's got to go down now," and it still is, uh, you know, uh, pinning him down and barely affected by it. it was it was really powerful? Um, yeah, and, and it took my multiple viewings to really think that the shot or the series of shots from Luke opening the elevator to him destroying the last of the droids. I think the comparison to Rogue One is right, the comparison to the prequels is right, like these just are not a a real threat to him because he's, you know, the the best there is.
0: Mm, yeah. Oh, um So you know, now that now that Din has taken the helmet off, do you think he'll put it back on? Like is he going to uh is I mean, is season 3 going to start with a you know a, a helmet list i mean i don't i don't think he'll take it off in, indefinitely because i mean it was made pretty clear in this episode how how much of protection that provides him i mean getting punched in the face yeah. multiple times by a dark trooper would have been pretty uh <laughs> detrimental without that you Best guard helmet.
1: Break before your helmet breaks it was <laughs> so crazy yeah. um uh, i i think he's going to behave more like the rest mm-hmm. um and i think they're it's both him kind of moving away from the creed and from the, the, the uh, coven. Um, but also I think he's just, he's feeling more attached to Boba and Bo, um, and Bo's friend whose name I can't remember. Um, so I think he's going to like mostly wearing it, but being willing to take it off when they're all hanging out and sitting around, um, would be my guess. Also, you don't pay Pedro Pascal and not show his beautiful face. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean he does his face is just so there's a like it, there's like a gentle beauty in his eyes at the end of that episode that uh I mean I can't help but empathize with. Um that was the other
1: big reaction from the five year old is he took <laughs> off his helmet and my son's just like I like when he takes off his helmet. He's so handsome. He's <laughs> like, All right, buddy, <laughs> go for it. I <laughs> love it. Um,
0: so. Well, you know, it's. It, I think an interesting thing that the season ends with, too, is is in a way, there's now this uh, purpose vacuum for, for Din. You know, what is his purpose now? What is Who is he without Grogu? I mean, I think that will be the question that season three will ask. Um, you know, his, that his— He's
1: done these big things. Yeah. He's not going to go back to bounty hunting. Like, that right. won't fulfill him, doesn't yeah. seem. Yeah. Um, he also doesn't seem ready to sign on to the rebellion either, so.
0: yeah. So I think, you know, so I mean, yeah, to that question you asked earlier, I guess that could be a very interesting part. So is how does it going after Mandalore? Will that give him some sense of purpose? Uh, Will he have trouble with Bo-Katan and her colleagues who do seem to be all, you know, born and blood, born and bred Mandalorians, whereas he's a foundling like Django was like what sort of obstacles is he going to have to overcome um, in that regard? So. I do think there are some really good character questions to to now be answered and i and I mean, I love this character so much because I can find so many ways to identify with him, not to say that I am him, but just finding points of identification and I guess that is a great question now is is when you have something really wonderful in your life that you have to let go of well how do you how do you move on from that right because I think that's a that's a very human thing. We all have to let go of things in life sometimes um you know and 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 taking this one is a good thing, you know. Uh, You know, a parent having to say goodbye to a child when they go to college or you as a child going to college saying goodbye to that world you always knew, you know, how do you find who you are in this new reality? Um, I think is a really great question that can be explored.
1: And and that is very much Joseph Campbell, right? Uh, We like to concentrate on the hero's journey, but he emphasizes that the purpose of myth is to carry us over the threshold moments in our lives. That's why we go to story. That's why the structure exists. And, you know, you just mentioned two of the big ones, right? The first being moving out of home and away from your family and making it on your own is that crossing of the first threshold. Uh, Then down at the bottom is trying to find your purpose and trying to fulfill whatever that is that, that gave you purpose, right? You're meeting with the goddess, your atonement and your success. Um, and that's a lot about figuring out your real true identity at the bottom of the circle. Um, and then the last one is like retirement or moving home and, and giving up the active life, um, which I don't think we're there yet for Mando, but mm-hmm. someday I'd like to see him go, uh, find Omera and, and settle back down and, and give up his hero ways. But, uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, now that the season's complete, it's starting to dawn on me like, oh, there's there's so many. Uh, uh, we got so much, but like no Omera, which I would have put money on. No Armorer, I would mm-hmm. have put good money on her coming back around in some regard. Um, but I think those mean Din is more on his own now, and, and especially losing Grogu. he's He's on his own, you know, for the foreseeable future, it seems.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how, if he even does try to identify with... Uh, Bo-Katan and her movement against Mandalore because that that's yeah that's a great point he ha- he doesn't have his tribe is his, his tribe of two no longer exists um, mm. and his tribe of Mandalorians I mean were wiped out last season so um, yeah. what does he sign on to we'll have to we'll obviously have to wait and see um, man and it, think
1: it, about the resonance of his name the Mandalorian the title of the show if that is indeed his I mean Technically, now he's the rightful ruler of Mandalore. Is that <laughs> how we can dig that, that he now wields the dark saber? So, you know, it's almost, it becomes like Citizen Kane, right? It's like the Mandalorian. It's, it's the one great Mandalorian or something. So uh, there's a lot of potential there. It, it, it'll be a different show if that's the route
0: they go, but it could be a good show. Season three opens with him getting a mythosaur skull placed on his head like a crown. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, yeah, like a guy in Mandalorian armor
1: on a throne. Now, where is that familiar from? Um, so. um,
0: I do think it's worth noting, and I and I've seen people obviously noting this all over um, the, uh, Twitter today. But I think it was really phenomenal that the strike team, the initial strike team on the 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 freighter or the cruiser, is um, all women. Um, I think that was an incredibly awesome choice by uh, Favreau and Filoni to, you know, Fennec, Cara Dune, Bo-Katan and, oh gosh, I'm always, I don't remember her name. Costa,
1: but, something like that. Yeah. It's,
0: Sasha Banks. So, Sasha <laughs> character. Um,
1: um, but yeah, the, that was my number one criticism coming out of season one is it had terrible gender representation across the season. It was almost always just, uh, I mean, it was, it was mostly just, uh, Din, but whenever they added side characters, it was a lot of dudes across every episode um, until I think we got to, well, we had Kara and then we had uh, Pelly. Um But it was really striking. And, and, you know, I think we have to also give them credit for these are not um, young, sexy sexpot women, right? These are middle aged women who are the type of actresses who don't get work in Hollywood due to, you know, misogyny. And so to see them kicking ass and acting the hell out of everything they were being asked to do, um, I thought was really incredible.
0: Yeah. Ming-Na who is Fennec Shand. Fennec is, and I know you were saying this in text, I mean, but Fennec is now one of my favorite characters in the show that, that this show has given us. There, there's just something really incredible about her. And, um, you know, I don't know much about Ming-Na Wen, so I, I looked her up uh, after two weeks ago just because I was like, oh, I don't, she's 57 years old. Which yeah. I'm not saying that's old, but to and like to do that stunt work and to be in such incredible shape at 57, my God! <laughs> you know, in I mean,
1: her interview this week on StarWars.com, she said she did almost all of the stunts. There was just a little they wouldn't let her do because of you know bodily harm risk and, and so on. But um, and I I will uh, admit that I started watching Agents of Shield, but kind of gave up on it. It really didn't hold me. I've been told the end of it got much better than where I gave up. Um, but there was a little glimmer of her on that show. I think it wasn't for my taste written well enough to let her shine. So now to see her do the stunts and to have a really cool kind of badass persona, I think it's really working well on this.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> and
1: also I had no interest in bad batch until they showed, uh, Fennec Shannon, the sizzle. And I was like, Oh, yep. I'm in, I'm, I'm there. Um,
0: so well, yeah, were pretty easy that way. But. Um, uh, I'm you know so we we get our, it was cool to get a duel between uh, uh the Mandalorian and Gideon. Um, I that was that that was an one other little surprising moment that didn't. I mean, it lasted all of five seconds, but when you know he kind of has this conversation with Gideon and he he says you know I don't really care about the dark saber. I don't care about anything. I just want the child. Keep the dark saber, and when he goes to get him, I there for a second there actually. Uh, um, Jean Carlo S what's the actor's name? Gian- yeah. Giancarlo Esposito. Is that right? Jean Esposito. Yeah. I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. I mean He was great as Gus Fring. I'm mean, the only thing I know him as otherwise, but he's awesome as Gus Fring, but in uh, better call Saul and breaking bad, but his, the way when he says the line, um, uh, savage, savage murderers that they are, the way he delivers that line, it really kind of drew me in and like, wow, I think like he really does believe this. Like he's, he doesn't think he's a villain. I don't think like, no. and even the way he says, I just wanted to test his blood. I mean, he, he's, you know, it's not like he's going to kill him or I was trying to like harvest his body parts. I just wanted to experiment. I mean, it's very clear that there is a duplicity to this character. Um, Cause as soon as Din puts his back to him, he, he strikes, which I did find a little surprising. It's like, just, why don't you just let him go? Like he's, I, I, any, why do you think he attacks him? Um, because part of me is like, you have to know you're not gonna beat this guy. He's gonna he's gonna wipe the floor with you. Why are you why I mean, maybe that's why he does take a cheap shot first, but what's the motivation in attacking Din in that moment?
1: I I just wanna first agree that I completely bought it. I thought he was really true. I mean, there is the fact that the experiments seem to not be going well. So they needed the child again because they ran out of blood, we learned in the fourth episode, I think that was, right? Um so um, and then I think you know, for some point, at, at some point, I thought the troopers were going to be force sensitive, but it seems like that is a very much a different, um, you know, experiment going on. And I'm I'm not jumping to it's it's Snoke or anything like that, or it's the <laughs> Emperor being reborn, um, but there is something larger at play there. So I think that might be one motivation. Um, and I think the other side of it would be what you were just alluding to, he thinks that Bo-Katan is a savage. I think he thinks Dinjarin is a, a savage too, right? So it's less, I really want to kill this guy as much as it is. I need to demonstrate that I am better than this guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's striking coming from the empire, right? The empire on this show, especially has become the law and order uh, entity. Right. And that's what they're going to do. And so I think that's a part of it. I am order. So he is disorder. He's chaos. I need to take him out. Um, I need to try to defeat to him. Um, if not because I hate this man, more because I just need to prove that I'm stronger. Um and, and the other moment I'd link to that is when he says, um, he says like you should just assume that whatever you know, I know, right? Mm. It's that arrogance, it's it's saying like, no, no, I'm I'm in control here, I'm in charge. And I think that that motivates him a lot.
0: Oh, that- I think that's a great answer. (laughs) That makes, (laughs) makes it make sense for me. So thank you. (laughs) Um, Boy, well, you know, I know that there are so many other things, you know, uh, minute details that were in here that we could talk about. Um, But I kind of got out all the big things I really wanted to say kind of forthright. Was there, is there anything you feel like um, we're missing or something else you wanted to bring up?
1: Um, nothing we're really missing. I, I, maybe I'll just give a couple quick shout outs. I really liked the plan to get on the cruiser. I thought that was really great. And, um, the shot of the TIE fighter launching got me so amped up. Um, I think it's a little bit of playing squadrons. Um, <laughs> and then it's also really reminiscent of, um, Katie Sackhoff's other role. Right. Mm, so on yeah. battle, the starfighters launch from tubes yeah. like that. Um, the Vipers, I believe they are on that show. Yep. Um, and so that kind of opening Starfighter battle was really fun. Um, I thought uh, Boba was great, how he kind of demonstrated um, that, like, oh, I am just playing playing here. I can really destroy you as soon as I want to. Um, <laughs> well, and that obviously reminded me, the one big thing we haven't talked about is that post credit sure. scene. So yeah. I'll, I'll let you take first crack oh. at that. How did, what did you make of that?
0: It, well, I mean, I always listen through the credits just because I love the music so much. And I did love this kind of orchestral uh, playthrough of I mean, so we got that in season one, the episode the the second to last episode where Quill is killed, um, we get this beautiful orchestral piece playing the Mandalorian theme, but we get it in a very different tonality. I'm not sure if I'm using the right music language, um, but it, it is the Mandalorian theme, but it's played so string heavy and it it it's I got a fuller orchestra sound to it. To me, there's a real like uh, the fact that it's so string heavy is it's so much more emotional than we've ever heard before. To that, and uh, and I really like that because I felt like that was the perfect music. Because as I'm listening to it, I'm still processing what just happened and drying my eyes. And I was like, this is the perfect music to accompany that. And then I wasn't expecting anything. Obviously, um, I did find it interesting that it didn't, blo- you know, like so many of these streaming apps do. The you know, the, it gets to the small square and tells you what to watch next. Um, that did, when that didn't come up, I, I, I didn't really register like, oh, that's weird. But I was like, well, maybe it's, you know, it's the last episode. Maybe they're not going to do that. And then all of a sudden, boom, you get the twin sons. I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, I thought it was a great little, uh, post credit scene. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit this, Greg. Um, I was the only thing that kind of disappointed me about it was I really felt like, we had a new Boba Fett on our hands. Um, the the character that was presented in chapter 14, like, I don't know. I just felt like he really had a sense of his humanity. I really felt like he cared to a degree about Din just because of his own relationship with Django back when he was a boy. Um, and then to just see him go back and be like this kind of cold hearted killer again. Um, I was like, well, I guess, I guess he's still just Boba. <laughs> so I was, I was a little bummed by that because it, and obviously this is me just presupposing what they're going to do with his character moving forward. But um, I do love that he's with Fennec. I love that the two of them are together. Um, I like her so much that it gives me more credence to like him. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, it was really neat to go back to Jabba's palace and for him to just take that throne. And I felt like it was a very fitting throne for him. Cause it, this is Boba Fett. He should be king of the underworld, if you will. And so much of this final episode there is talk about thrones and kingdoms. And I mean, obviously mainly with Mandalore, you know, Gideon tells, tells the Mandalorian, you know, whoever has this has the right to the throne. Mandalorians, yeah. I don't care. And then the episode ends with someone sitting on a throne in Mandalorian armor. Um, but it's a very different kind of throne. So I thought it was fitting. I thought it was fun. Um, like I said, I was a little bummed that it seemed to roll back to just the age old ruthless killer Boba Fett, but it was still neat and, 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 a, and a, uh, something I'm excited to see moving forward. What did you think? Uh,
1: I think that is largely where I was. Um, I, I think I'm currently reading the Bounty Hunter comic book, which I think if you are on Twitter, you've seen it's kind of controversial because he is very much that guy. And there was a, a really cool character that got mowed down just to kind of prove that boba fett doesn't care anything about anyone um so i think with that in my mind i i hadn't really registered him as changing too much Mm -hmm. but everything you said i think speaks to this larger group of fans who are suddenly really excited about boba fett and uh yeah i'll be interested to hear how they react i liked a lot of the details a lot so he had his old blaster back um which i really liked um i don't no, we maybe we had seen it before, but I hadn't clocked it. But uh, it was it was very visible in a shot. Um, I liked Fennec freeing the the dancer, um, so we can see maybe they're not exactly the same. Um, Or maybe she is his conscience, uh, perhaps. Um, And then I really liked seeing Bib Fortuna uh, chunked out a little, because clearly (laughs) when you sit on the throne, you get everything uh, handed to you uh, easily. Um, And I did confirm later in the day, I I had asked the question on our text, but that was Matthew Wood reprising the role. So uh, Matthew Wood played uh, Bib Fortuna in Jabba's box during into menace when you know he was just a really young intern at skywalker sound i think or a low level employee and so that he got to play it again and as you alluded to earlier he threw out him a clunky which which got me <laughs> so all those little details really made me excited and kind of nerding out um yeah i, I will definitely turn tune into a boba show um without hesitation Everybody who says Disney just grabs money, they could have thrown that announcement into their investor call and they decided to save it and give a little surprise to all of us. So yeah. um, they're not entirely money-grubbing. Uh, maybe they're just majority gr- money-grubbing. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, kind of transitioning to, to think about large, larger scale where this is all going, um, one of the promises in that investor call was that uh, Favreau and Filoni have plotted out these spinoff shows that will go have limited runs and then they will all feed back into one giant event. Um, and so I likened it to the Netflix Marvel shows where you got the individual superheroes and then they came together with the defenders. It's a little different cause we started with Mandalorian, but now we seem to be fanning out into these, to the three announced spinoff shows. Um, and then to have those all come back together sounds really cool to me. Um, you know who the big bad would be that reunites all these forces. I don't know. Thrawn is out there and seems like a good candidate based on what we saw in the Ahsoka episode, but uh, uh, it could be anything that, that really draws them all together again for some big wrap-up eventually. Um, sounds pretty cool to me. I totally understand people are saying uh, you're just turning Star Wars into Marvel. I think that's a fair criticism, but at the same time, Marvel has more money than God, so why wouldn't Disney <laughs> try to replicate that? So. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And do you think it's safe to say, though, the the book of Boba Fett will be a separate show from season three of Mandalorian?
1: Uh, Late in the day today, somebody asked uh, if he was going to be in season three. And he said, like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I be in season three? So whether I I, I think to me, that means there will be a Pedro show and then this Boba Fett show. Um, I don't think that means Pedro will just be a character in the book of Boba Fett. But um, I don't know. That, that that's speculation. It's it's a guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I I hope that they're two separate entities. Um, I don't want the third season of Mandalorian to be Boba Fett as the main character because that's just silly to me. Um, mm. but yeah. So I mean, I I think, but I do think it's pretty clear that they they are doing a third season, and they may just launch at the same time. Who knows? Um, so. Again, we'll have to just wait and see. And I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more in the coming coming weeks ahead. Um, so, I'm sure there'll
1: be a nice, big, juicy article Monday where Filoni and Favreau explain exactly what they meant by it. Yeah. Just in terms of structure. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean, I want to wait and give everybody the surprise, but I'm sure they'll clarify their exact plans. And again, Disney will want to now tell their investors to get them excited and keep those Disney Plus subscribers. So
0: Yeah. Um, uh, there was... Just one thing I was going to say, and it just went right out of my mind. So it can't be that important. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, Well, <laughs> with that, then I, <laughs> I, I mean, again, I know there's a lot more to say, um, and I, I know we'll come back to doing more of that later on. Um, oh, I remember now. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who didn't see this yet, um, and Greg, you were the first to tell us in our, our group text, so I, I didn't see it either. Uh, uh, starting Christmas Day, uh, well, I don't think it's. Is it? Yeah. I think it will be week to week, right? Yeah. Uh, I think
1: it's only on Christmas day though. Not even starting, unfortunately.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, but they're doing another, uh, Disney gallery of season two. So.
1: Well, and what I mean by that, it's a one-off special. It's not a series this time. Gotcha.
0: I personally find
1: hugely disappointing, um, because I loved gallery. I think there were some episodes of gallery I preferred to some episodes of season one, just because I, I love the behind <laughs> the so much. Yeah. Um, so I was a little disappointed when they announced. I think it's probably like a a, a special, uh, just kind of behind the scenes. But yeah, dropping on Christmas, so unwrap those presents and then jump on Disney Plus. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe rewatch season two during Christmas week too. Um, sure, I, I feel not? like yeah, I feel like that's something I'd like to do. Is um, because again, like these episodes aren't that long for the most part, so it'd be something you could easily binge. Even do half in the morning, half at night. <laughs> so you could um,
1: easily put in theaters to get people back to movie theaters yeah. next summer when oh we're all vaccinated. Gosh. Come right. on, look at the film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess I think they'd be phenomenal on a, a big screen. I uh, Last week's episode, I watched on a giant TV in the classroom I, I teach in because I, I didn't have formal class so I could just play something. And it looked great on, a, I think it was a eight or nine foot screen. So, I'd, so I'd love to see it in a movie theater.
0: Yeah um all right well that's gonna that's gonna do it for this this quick mini special episode um for those of you if you are if you're a regular listener and even if you're not um next week jason and i will be back to do uh, we're gonna do a christmas special next week so we are gonna save our season two wrap-up discussion till the week after christmas but um just uh just a reminder to those of you um who feel so inclined, we'd love for you to just send us a quick audio recording of some sort of star Wars, Christmas story, uh, something you got at Christmas time, something you did at Christmas time. That was star Wars related. Um, and, and send that to us at wampas at gmail.com so that we can play it on next week's episode. So to those of you who sent them, thank you to those of you who haven't, and are thinking about it, please feel free to send some in. We'd, we'd love some more stories to share next week. Um, I'll uh, get you mine. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's okay. A little- <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, before we go, Greg, uh, how can folks keep up with what you're doing in the Star Wars world?
1: Uh, let's see. Uh, the really the the main place I hang out uh, in terms of Star Wars is I am on star on Twitter at uh, Ion Cannon. So E Y E O N C A N O N. And I started an Instagram with the same name that uh, just shows off my collection in any Star Wars adventures I have. So uh, always happy to engage, always
0: happy to, uh,
1: you know, respectfully disagree or debate. That's always a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, find me there.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again for hopping on with me. This was really fun. I loved getting to field some difficult questions and getting your great answers. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that, that's going to do it for us this week um, on this special episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, looking forward to having lots of long conversations about season two in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, so for Greg, I am Carl, and we will see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.